This morning, I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bibles uh, to John chapter 20, or you can find it on the insert that is printed in your bulletin. Um, We'll be in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. And I'll also remind you at this point, we have some fellowship paths that are located on the insides of our aisles. If you could take a moment, fill that out and pass it down the aisle, we would greatly appreciate that. And by the way, if you see me swatting like this, there's a fly up here, or a couple of them. And so it means nothing other than I'm trying to get rid of the fly. Um, John chapter 20. Uh, This morning, what I'm going to try to do is, uh, we'll see how well I do it, um, is I'm going to try to introduce you to Grace Community Church, but also at the same time introduce you to our sermon series for this fall. Uh, this fall, we're going to be looking at some passages that are unique in the Gospel of John. We're, we're going to go to these places in John's Gospel where Jesus gives us his own description of himself. And a lot of people know these to be the I am sayings of Jesus, where Jesus says, I am, and he says, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. And there just tons of amazing and wonderful concrete application of that to our daily lives. But I also think that this passage in John chapter 20 is fitting for us not only to introduce that series, but also to introduce you to Grace Community Church, because for all of our talk about starting this church, about starting Grace Community Church, and we could put it in a number of different ways, we basically said Our desire is to build a church where people can come to know Jesus, um, where people can come and worship and adore Jesus and and learn what it means to follow and serve Him in this community and in this place at this time. Um, And before I get ahead of myself with all that, let me read for us this passage in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. This is God's holy an inerrant word. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him now and ask for his help. 
Father, it is right that we would come before you in this moment to ask for your help, to ask that you would be gracious and kind to us, because we do not need to hear the voice of a man this morning. We need to hear the voice of the living God. We need to hear the voice of Jesus himself, the voice of the one who came And when he walked this earth, he spoke and it was by the power of his voice that he called the lame to walk and the blind to see and the deaf to hear. It was by the very power of his voice that he spoke into death itself, into the tomb, and brought men to life. Father, we need to hear the voice of Jesus this morning. As we gather together this morning, many of us are excited about this new chapter in the life of our church. Others are unsure what they think about it. In our daily lives, some find themselves heavily burdened the cares of life in this broken world. Some find themselves anxious about the things to come this week. Many have questions, questions about the truth of your word, and some questions even more personal, wondering if this good news, good news of an upside-down king who broke into this world to bring life through death, wondering if it can be true of them. Still others find themselves this morning walking very, very close with you right now. You have drawn close to them in the time of need, and it's so, so sweet. And yet others remember a time when they walk closely with you, wondering if they'll ever be able to get back to that place because they feel just like the psalmist. How long will you hide your face from me? Father, however we come this morning, we do pray that for a moment you would help us to see that despite the symptoms in our lives and the circumstances in our lives right now, we really are all the same. Because the truth is we are all far more broken than we know. We don't know the depths of our depravity. We don't really know how twisted our hearts can be. And so at the so we all need the same thing. We all need to know that though we are this broken, because of Jesus, because of his person and his work, we are also far more loved and far more secure and far more accepted than we could possibly dream. So we pray this morning that you would help us all to see Jesus, in whose name we do pray. Amen. I've told some of you this, but I have, over the past 10 years or so, I've bought a number of iPods. And um, 
they have all been a terrible disappointment to me. Um, not one of them is broken. Um, you know, they all worked as advertised. They worked great. But they were a terrible disappointment to me because as soon as I bought my iPod, <clears throat> two months later, Apple released a newer, better, more improved iPod, right? You know, I could never get ahead. I could never get ahead of the curve, right? And so now it's my iPhone, right? The original iPhone and the 3G, the 4, the 4S, the, now the, the 5 is about to be released. And I, I just never can get ahead in this game. Apple just keeps it out of my reach, right? Um, and there are hundreds and hundreds of examples of this kind of stuff in our culture. I mean, so many products and programs that flash across your TV screen, right? They're always promising you, you know, uh, healthier, more beautiful, skinnier, toner, firmer, blemish-free version of yourself, right? Um, and the TV screens that they flash across, I mean, they got to be bigger, brighter, clearer, all that kind of stuff. And you walk into a bookstore or visit Amazon.com, whatever you do. Um, you know, all these, these, this literature out there telling you how you can fix yourself and maximize your potential and all that kind of stuff. But the, what I'm saying is there's, there's always more. You never arrive. It's always just beyond your grasp. You never get there. There's always something else. And maybe all this stuff is a bit of a cheap shot at middle-class America because we're, you know, we're immersed in materialism, right? It's the air we breathe. But I really don't want to make you feel guilty about that this morning. I'm going to save that for another sermon. But um, I, I really just wanted to try and pick something that I think most of us can identify with. Because you see, this instinct that really is in all of us uh, to chase after the ultimate, right? To, to want to arrive, to get our hands on the newest, biggest, best, whatever. It's a very, very real instinct. And it's a very powerful and driving force in our lives. And underneath all the various expressions of it that we could name, what is there is a deep hunger for life. I mean, you know, for some of us, maybe it is in our possessions that we're looking for life. And for others, it's in our careers, maybe advancing in our careers, or maybe stability in the home or in our families, or getting enough padding into our bank account in that emergency savings fund, you know, that we have. Or, or maybe we're looking for life by being connected to and involved in the right relationships and the right social groups and all that kind of stuff. And we think to ourselves, if I could just turn this corner, if I could just get ahead, get a little bit more, you know, then I'll, then I'll be able to rest. Then I'll arrive, right? Then, then I'll feel like I matter, like I'm significant, like I have an identity. And, and what I'm telling you is, in all the various expressions of it, what we're looking for is life. But it feels to us like it's just outside of our reach. We can't ever quite get it, and it slips through our fingers, you know, right? We, we can't get no satisfaction, right? Um, uh, what was the other one that I was thinking of? Uh, we still haven't found what we're looking for, right? How these musicians put it, right? In this story that we're looking at this morning, in this passage, Jesus has been crucified, He's been raised from the dead, and now he's meeting with his disciples for the second time. 
And John includes this story for us so that we know that we can finally arrive at life. We can have the ultimate. We can satisfy our deep hunger for life when we deal with Jesus, when we meet Jesus, and when we fall before Jesus. So first, dealing with Jesus. We find life when we deal with Jesus. This story about Thomas... It's the climactic story of John's gospel. And attached to it is the purpose statement, the theme of John's entire gospel, right? He's saying, there are a lot of other things I could have written down for you. But verse 31, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. You know, when you read through John's gospel, and all the scholars point this out, you realize just how selective John really is in his material. In fact, his entire gospel only covers 21, possibly 22 days in the life of Jesus. That's it. This is not a biography John is telling you, right? The stories in this book, they are here for a reason. They are here to force you to deal with the person and the claims of Jesus. You know, I've already mentioned that in John's gospel, he records these unique sayings of Jesus that we're going to look at in the next coming weeks, right? The seven of them, to be precise, where Jesus says things like, I am the bread of life, right? I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Which, those are really, really shocking statements, right? I mean, I don't know if you can imagine going into work tomorrow. And someone in your office says, can I have everybody's attention, please? I um, just want you to let you know that I am the light of the world. Outside of me, nothing but darkness. You know, you come into the office and somebody says, look here, I need to tell you this. I am the way. If you want to know God and have a relationship with him, you got to go through me. Right? I'm the bread of life. Only I, nothing else can satisfy your deepest hunger in life. Now, what I'm saying is that if that happens tomorrow in your office, you can't ignore that, right? I mean, that somebody's got to make a phone call very, very quickly, right? You have to deal with it. I'm telling you, that's what Jesus is doing with his hearers. And that's why John records these statements. Jesus is forcing you to deal with him. I mean, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, you can't ignore that. You have to deal with it. Here's another way to put it. Jesus does not allow you and I to be neutral when it comes to his claims. I mean, he is pushing you and me off of the fence I mean, he comes and he says, I am God in the flesh. I am the Christ, right? He alone is the source of life. He is the king of kings. And you can reject him or you can follow him. You can crown him or you can kill him. You can love him or hate him. But one thing is for sure, you can't just dismiss him and ignore him. You have to deal with him. You can't ignore somebody who makes claims like this. You know, there's a sense in which answering questions in life always moves you in certain directions, right? I mean, some of you have asked, 
you know, what should we do about the education of our children? And depending on how you answer that question, it's going to either move you towards some options and move you away from some other options, right? You ask the question, what kind of career should I pursue in life? It's going to either move you towards some vocations or what, and away from other vocations, right? Should I marry this guy or this girl? It's either going to move you towards a wedding or away from it, right? What do I want to do when I retire? How should I respond to these circumstances in my life? How should I spend my money? They're all moving you in directions, right? Answering those questions. They take you someplace. The answers move you in a direction. John is forcing us this morning to deal with this question. Who is Jesus? You see, and when you deal with him, it is either going to move you towards life or away from it, is what John is saying. You can reject him or love him, crown him or kill him, but you have to deal with this question, who is Jesus? You know, this purpose statement of John's gospel, it's joined to this story of Thomas for a a number of reasons. But before we move on, I, I do want you to notice that Thomas is among friends, when he is forced to deal with Jesus, right? He, he doesn't deal with Jesus in isolation, by himself, alone. And you and I can't deal with Jesus alone either, right? We need a community. We need a place of safety. We need a place of welcome to work through these, the answers to these questions. And I just tell you, that is our, our dream for what we want this church to be, Grace Community Church, to be a place for you and I and others to come and deal with Jesus. Well, second, let's turn to meeting Jesus. You see, in the first point, we're, we're really saying that to find life, you have to deal with Jesus' identity, who he claims to be, what he claims to have done, Right? But, but if you're following me, the, the, the first point is really more about content, right? There's something about, Je- something about Jesus to be believed. He is the Christ, the Son of God, as John puts it. But the second point, what we're really saying is it's personal. To find life, you have to meet Jesus. It's not enough just to have the right content. You have to deal with Jesus personally. See, for whatever reason, we are told in verse 24 that Thomas, he wasn't with the other disciples the first time Jesus appeared to his disciples. And they came and they told him that they had seen Jesus. But he has some very serious doubts, doesn't he, right? Verse 25, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. He's skeptical. Right? He has real questions about this claim that Jesus is alive from the dead. So it's now a week later, and all the disciples, including Thomas, they are together. And Jesus comes into the room, and he comes in and he pronounces his peace upon them. And immediately he turns to highlight Thomas's concerns, Thomas's questions, Thomas's skepticism. Thomas's doubts. I mean, can you just imagine for a second what that would communicate to Thomas, that Jesus just immediately turns to him and starts dealing with him in this way? I mean, on the one hand, Jesus is saying, he's saying something like, Thomas, I know you inside and out. I mean, he's saying, 
Without you telling me, I already know all of your deepest and darkest concerns and doubts and fears. He said, you can't hide any of it from me, right? I've been paying very, very close attention to you, Thomas. Right? That's probably a little bit frightening, right? I mean, you can't hide anything from Jesus. Thomas can't hide anything from Jesus. He knows us better than we know ourselves. But listen, on the other hand, Jesus comes. Right? He, he enters in and he meets that fear, that suspicion, those doubts and despair with his mercy. I mean, so on the one hand, it's just unbelievably humbling to know that he knows you inside out all the way to the bottom and you can't hide anything from him. But on the other hand, it fills you with this unbelievable confidence to know that he moves towards you and not away from you in your fears, in your questions, in your doubts. He moves towards you in his mercy. Several years ago, I saw this show on the Discovery Channel, and uh, it was about sharks. It was like Shark Week or something. And um, just to let you know, I really, really do not like sharks. Um, they just these large animals. You never see them coming, and they have all these teeth. They have rows of teeth, which is concerning. But... Um, For some reason, I'm addicted to these shows, right? I watch them just to feed my fears even more. Um, But uh, my wife and I were watching this show one night and had these divers in the water, right? And and they're in the water and they go down to the ocean floor and they they start tossing out these bloody fish, right? This chum and they're getting the sharks to come to them, which is a very bad idea. But they are... What they're attempting, the narrator is, you know, talking about all this stuff. What they're attempting is something called, that they call tonic immobility. Just stay with me for a second. Um, these divers, they get the sharks to swim right up to them, right, right up in front of them, right? And then at the last possible moment, these divers, they reach out their hands and they grab the nose of the shark. Which if you know anything about anatomy, is very, very close to the teeth part of the shark. So they grab... <laughs> the nose, right? And they very gently, like, pet the nose of this shark. And within seconds, the shark goes into this entirely, completely catatonic state, just completely relaxed. And these shark, they hold these sharks, and they fall to the bottom of the ocean floor. And what, you know, these 12-foot sharks, right? One of these divers, they had, had the shark, and somehow he manipulates it in his hands to where the shark's head is in his hands, completely relaxed, catatonic, and his tail is stretching 12 feet up. I mean, just, you can do whatever he wants with this shark, right? It's crazy. Um, But look, here's what I'm trying to get you to see about meeting Jesus personally. He is not scared of your doubts. He is not scared of your questions, of your despair, of your hardness. He's not scared of any of it. I mean, he comes right in and he meets you in the hostile waters of skepticism, hurt and fear and sorrow and pain and regret. He comes all the way in. And it seems like that is the the last place you would ever find rest. But that's exactly where Jesus gives it. And how, how in the world is that possible? 
It's because when you realize that he knows you inside and out, I mean, the stuff you wish you could share with someone, but you won't dare say it out loud. He knows all of that. When you realize he knows that, and he loves you completely and entirely and perfectly without flaw, without fault, and he moves towards you in his grace and his mercy, that's when you can finally rest. And I'm telling you, that, that's what we want to be at this church. We want to be a place where fearful, hurt, broken people like me can come and meet Jesus. Here's one reason that I'm really looking forward to this series on the I Am sayings. It's because Jesus doesn't come and say, I'm like a door. (laughs) I'm like a good shepherd. I'm like the light. He says, I am the door. I am the light. I am the good shepherd. See, knowledge alone will never change you. You have to meet him. And only a person like this will turn your life upside down. In a very, very good way. He will give you life, meaning, peace, fulfillment, satisfaction. Everything you have been longing for in this life that feels like it's just out of your grasp, slipping through your fingers. He can and he will meet you in the murky, hostile waters and give you life. Okay, finally, we find life when we fall down before Jesus. At this point, get around to explaining the title of the sermon, which is Believing Thomas. Uh, Some of you who may have been around church before, I've heard people refer to Thomas as Doubting Thomas. And, you know, he gets that name because of the doubts and the questions that he mentions in this passage. But that is not why John put it in his gospel. Right? John is connecting this story of Thomas with his purpose statement that we would believe and find life in Jesus' name. Here's what I'm saying to you about this story. John's whole point is to give you a picture of what believing looks like. And for him, Thomas is that picture of what believing looks like. It's really interesting how this story is told, right? Because Thomas, he starts out with these conditions, right? Unless I see the nail marks in your hands, put my hand in your side. Those, you know, as long as I get those things, I'll believe. If you give me those things, I'll believe. And then in verse 27, Jesus tells Peter to do just that. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And here's what's really, really interesting to me about this story. Thomas doesn't do it. He doesn't take Jesus up on it. Right? He just responds by saying, My Lord. And my God. And here's what I think happened. I think that when Jesus granted Thomas this permission to touch the nail marks, put his hand in his side, I think that Thomas realized in a moment that he had placed conditions upon God. I'll believe you if, right? And in a moment, he realized that to come to Jesus and find life meant that he had to drop all of his conditions. I mean, it happened in a moment for Thomas, but for you and I, sometimes it happens over long periods of time, right? We start out saying, Jesus, I'll believe you if you can get me out of this mess. I'll follow you if you can change my circumstances in life. 
right? I'll follow you if you can give my family some security. I'll, I'll obey you if I can get ahead in my job and my career. Just to be honest with you, I mean, that's how vast majority of us come, myself included. That's how we come in many times to start to deal with Jesus, really. And you know that you have dealt with Jesus. You know that you have met Jesus when you finally can drop your conditions and simply say, My Lord and my God. To say to him, you are not here to do my bidding. You are the king of kings, and there is no life outside of you. It's huge what happens here. I mean, I mean, certainly Thomas is confessing that Jesus is divine, that he's God, right? I mean, there isn't a higher profession of Jesus' identity anywhere else in the Gospels than what Thomas gives right here. And it's truth, right? It's content. Something about Jesus has to be believed. That He is the Son of God. That He is who He claims to be. But that's not all this is, right? He, it is personal. My Lord. My God. He is saying, I have dropped my conditions and you are the center of my life. Right? I belong to you and you belong to me and that alone is enough to satisfy my hungry soul. That is life itself. Saying about this yesterday, I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments in life, or maybe multiple moments like this, where you feel like you just get shocked into reality. Like all of a sudden something happens and you find yourself awake, right? Uh, my wedding day, the birth of my children, those stand out to me. Right, like all of a sudden the weightiness and the beauty of that moment just makes me feel so, so very aware, right, present. A joyful sobering in a moment. What is it that in a moment shook Thomas to his senses? Right, I mean, at this point in the story, Thomas is not taking notes on Jesus' sermon, Right? At a point, information gives way to worship. And he simply falls before the beauty and the weightiness of Jesus. It's totally fine if you're a sermon note taker, but my hope for you is that at some point during the sermon, you would find yourself not taking notes and just worshiping. Let me say it like this. I think what shook Thomas to his senses and gave way to his worship was this. Standing before him, Thomas saw a wounded God, right? A God run through, nail marks in his hands, in the hands of God, a gash in the side of the King of Kings. And friends, when you see that, when you realize who Jesus is, when you drop your conditions, when you realize that your Lord and your God, he came to be brutalized, and killed in your place so that He could have you forever. When love like that falls upon your heart, when you realize that He knows you to the bottom, and He absolutely loves you, to get that is to get life and to begin to worship. I know I'm running long this morning, but let me just, one little thing here. Some of you, you are full of questions 
and doubts and skeptical and you're unsure about Jesus and this story about him dying for you. And I do really hope that you can at least say, I don't believe it. I don't know if I can believe it. I'm not even really sure what to think about it. But I really, really wish it was true. That would be an amazing story, right? That God knows me inside and out. And he came to die for me. Just so that I could belong to him. My encouragement to you is to keep coming back. And to keep wrestling. And to keep dealing with Jesus. Until you meet him. Until you fall before him. And to those of you who are Christians... At the core of our being, we are worshipers. It, we can't escape it, right? We are made to worship, and we will always worship what appears to be most beautiful to us. And I know that some of you are struggling hard. Money and career and reputation and sex and power and whatever it might be, it glistens like gold to you. And they're all good things for our good. But every time we start to bow down to those kinds of things, and you know I'm talking to you when you know that you feel the shackles of slavery begin to tighten, and you don't know if you can get free. Let me just tell you, you don't just have a desire for the ultimate. and You don't just have an impulse to arrive and worship. You are also built with a longing in you for freedom. And there is only one thing in this life that to worship also sets you free, and that is Jesus. Because he comes to you and he says to you, no matter where you are, I want you as you are. And I, unlike all your other glistening idols, I am willing to come and die for you. And Christian, you need to let that truth shock you back to reality and find yourself changed by that truth. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that set aside for us on this day to come and to worship you. We sang it this morning that our hearts are prone to wonder prone to leave the God we love. And so, Father, we pray that the truth of this story would come and it would shock us back to our senses to see that there is only one person to worship that will also set us free, and that is Jesus. Father, we pray that your word would be written upon our hearts. That we would not leave here unchanged. That we would not leave here thinking we can simply dismiss Jesus and avoid dealing with Him. But that we would, in fact, deal with His claims. Move towards us in our hardness, in our questions and our doubts, so that we would meet You in Your grace and mercy and fall before you, and worship, and have life in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.